Thank you everybody for joining us, whether you're here on our campus or watching online, picking us up on the podcast later on in the week. If you're a part of our uh, youth ministry that is on their way back from being away for fall retreat, whatever it is, however you're joining us, we are grateful to have you as a part of what we're doing today here at uh, East Brainerd. Uh, I know some of you uh, heard that uh, you know, earlier uh, this weekend, I was losing my voice and was having a difficult time when it came to getting anything to really come out. And I know that that message started to spread, and some of you came hoping that I was not going to be preaching today. I know. You came saying it was going to be a short lesson. Hey, we're going to all show up, but I am grateful to be able to have a little bit of voice still left after yelling um, at multiple ball games this last weekend, and especially being an Auburn guy, um, we like to do what we can as Auburn people to make everyone feel good. That's one of the things that we're just known for. We want to make everyone feel good. And so when we put New Mexico State on our roster uh, and are on our schedule about, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, and, and they had never beaten an SEC team in 24 tries, and had not been to a bowl game in like 40 years, we thought, well, why don't we just let them come in to our place and we'll pay them $1.8 million and, and we'll let them win. <laughs> we'll let them win big so that they can all go home and have a great Thanksgiving. That, that's, that's just the kind of people we are. And so um, I, um, I yelled a lot this, this weekend, and I'm sure probably some of you guys did did as well. But it's been great. Yeah, I know. There's always one in every crowd, and we're going to pray for that Alabama fan here coming up. <laughs> oh, speaking of prayers uh, for people, uh, last week we took a poll. Some of you might remember if you were able to be with us. We took a poll as to how many of you like to decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving, and then how many of you who are spiritual decorate for Christmas after Thanksgiving, right? And so we did this poll, but I did not have the results at the, at the end of everything. I told you that I would let you know this week. And, and so uh, I just want you to know that, again, for all of the Alabama people in the room and for all of those who like to decorate early, we're going to have a time of prayer because 56% of you last week said that you decorate before Thanksgiving for Christmas. And, and I see Miss Sheena, she's shaking her head over here. Yes, I mean, it is like Rudolph has come to town already at the White's house. I mean, they are all out for this. Um, it, it is really weird and strange that some of you just want to skip over what is a holiday about being thankful. All of you ungrateful people, I'm just surprised that we have so many of you who <laughs> are here. No, but I, I was surprised. I really thought it would be a little bit closer than that. But yeah, 56% of you guys like to decorate beforehand. So maybe some of you are going to do it this weekend, and you've got some family in. You're going to have some turkey. You're going to have some dressing. And you're going to get out all the decorations. You're going to pull all that out uh, before Thanksgiving comes around. Uh, what, however you do it, whatever way that you enjoy, we, uh, we just hope that you have a great holiday time. Thanksgiving and Christmas, I know, is coming up shortly. But of course, this week, we want you to have a great time. Speaking of that, uh, we know that even though it is the Thanksgiving season, 
uh, it can be difficult sometimes to actually be, be thankful. I, uh, do, do any of you remember, do you remember those children's books that were out uh, decades ago? And they were the Choose Your Own Adventure uh, series. Now, does this sound familiar to anybody? These are those books that were really popular, especially when I was a kid. I think they sold like, you know, 250 million copies or something like that. And the way that these books would work, you would begin reading the story, and then you would get to a certain page, and you'd be asked a question. And it would ask you which direction you wanted that particular story to go. And then you could choose. And then it would say, well, if you choose A, you go to, you know, this page. If you choose B, then you turn and you go to a different page, right? And so you get to choose what happens next as the reader. So a Klingon ship suddenly decloaks off the port bow. As captain of the Federation Starship Enterprise, do you raise shields and ready the, fort the, the photon torpedoes if so, you turn to page 73, and, and the plot goes in that direction. However, if you choose to ask the communications officer to hail the Klingon vessel so that you can speak directly with their captain, you turn to page 96, and the story then goes in that direction. And you get to determine the outcome of the story or the outcome of the main character. You get to determine the ending. And so the reader is all a part of the adventure, and you're not dependent on whoever the original author of the story was. Instead, it's all up to you and where you want to go and the decisions that you want to make. The books were really fine. And full disclosure, my choices usually resulted in a warp core breach and the crew being taken captive. I mean, that's kind of the decisions that I ended up making, but they were really cool books. But there's a reason this is a children's series, Right? I mean, you get this. It's because as adults, we know that is really not how life works. We don't get to choose our own adventure. I mean, the concept is really appealing. That we can somehow determine our own destiny, that we could choose our own circumstances, that we can avoid our own adversity. And if we don't like what's happening right now, we'll just turn to page 87 and we'll just start off on a new story. And I know as kids, we would love to be able to believe that no, there are no disappointments, that we can avoid all the different pitfalls, and that we cannot have to deal with all the different heartaches. Because really, it's just all in my hands, and I'm all the one that's in control, and I can be whatever it is that I want to be. And life can go in whatever direction that I want it to go. It sounds so good. And I know as parents, oftentimes we have told our children, right? You've looked at your child and you've said, sweetheart, you can be anything you want to be. Guys, I couldn't even make my middle school basketball team, right? I'm not going to be an NBA player, even though when I was younger, I might have really wanted to be that. We know that that's not the case, but oftentimes we, we tell one another that. We tell our children, we, we heard it as kids ourselves, but as we know, in large part, it's just not how life works. It's not a choose-your-own-adventure book. Or let me put it another way. All of us start off thinking our story is going to be written in a certain way, but it never quite goes how we planned. All of us start out with these certain dreams, but then reality kind of wakes us up. Like yesterday's Tennessee-Georgia football game. I mean, for, for Tennessee fans, life looked really good after the first play, right? 
I mean, I know there, there are some of you who are watching that and you were like, yes, where was this rushing game against Missouri? Now, we have brought everybody, we're all in, Dolly's here, this is going to be great. I mean, we're about to just steamroll Georgia. And then reality set in. Because Georgia got the ball. And then they took the ball away, and they got the ball again, and life looks so good. I mean, if the game could have just stopped after the first play, so many more of you would have a great Thanksgiving. But it didn't. It kept going. And for some of you, if life would have just stopped in the first quarter of your life, if things could have just stayed that way, if it could just be frozen in time, if things could have just become frozen right around, I don't know, the time that you were in high school, maybe when you were in college, maybe it was when you first got married, when the kids were smaller, maybe there was just this time you look and said, you know what, if everything could have just stopped right there, and if we could just have that moment again, if we could have that feeling, but then reality set in. And that's why we've been looking the past few weeks at the story of, of Joseph. We looked at his life story. A life that began with a dream, but then was filled with all kinds of disappointments. And, and we've said how that Joseph's story takes up a lot of real estate in Genesis. You began reading it in around Genesis 37, and, and then you just begin to go through the rest of, of that particular book. And you can actually binge read it, even here over the Thanksgiving holidays. If, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, just take a Bible, find the first book, Genesis, go to chapter 37, and, and read until you get to the end. And you can just binge read from start to finish in really less than an hour. But we've said it would be wiser probably to spread it out over a long period of time, maybe even a couple of decades, so that you don't get the impression that Joseph's challenges and his struggles just all took place in one episode. He endured slavery and imprisonment. He enjoyed success and experienced loss. He was forgotten. He was exalted. And his life is a master class, I think, in trusting God's provision. And it provides us a glimpse of how to be thankful even when we don't want to be. Because we all go through seasons when we find it hard to be thankful just because of the current place that we are in life. Just this past week, I talked to a family who had to take their kid to the emergency room. There was a man who, since he retired two years ago, has found it virtually impossible to make ends meet. There was another who received a cancer diagnosis. Another who had to end up saying goodbye to a family member. This woman's dryer broke down. This man's having to replace his car's transmission again. And there was a couple who, because of a history of abuse, are not looking forward to going home for Thanksgiving. And I get it. Just because the inflatable yard turkeys are out doesn't mean that everyone is necessarily thankful right now. Because sometimes it's just hard. It's just hard to be thankful. And, and we need to be able to have the space and, and, and the relationships with others just to be able to admit that. And, and to say sometimes, you know what it is? It's just hard. Have a hard time seeing past my current circumstances and to see something to really focus on where I can say, you know what, I am thankful for that. And I think Joseph probably understood this feeling. A few weeks back, we began in the middle of Joseph's story. And the reason being, most people that we encounter today are already well in the middle of, of their story, right? 
Well, in the midst of their conflict and chaos, whenever we cross their path, very rare is the occasion when we meet someone who is either coming into or going just out of some difficult circumstance. More often than not, the person that you ran into out in the lobby or the individual that's going to sit around your Thanksgiving table, well, they're already right in the middle of their own problem, their own pain, their own predicament. And so we begin in the middle of Joseph's story, and we begin to look backwards to see the events that transpired, which led Joseph to be forgotten in prison. Now next week, we're going to find out what happens once Joseph is freed from his cell. But for today, I just want us to look back again, and let's go back even further than where we have gone so far, back truly to the beginning. Genesis 37. Joseph is a teenager, and he's growing up in a pretty dysfunctional home. That's probably even an understatement. He is his father's favorite son. But he has 10 older brothers. However, his father, Jacob, loves Joseph the most. And so he gives to Joseph this ornate coat that you know oftentimes is that coat of many colors. And by giving him this coat, he's saying to his other sons, yeah, this is the one that I love. I mean, I tolerate the rest of you. But this is the one that I love most. He's saying to the other boys, this son is going to be the main inheritor of my estate. This son, because he is wearing this coat, he's not going to have to be doing the work that, that you guys are going to be doing out in the fields. He's not going to be doing any manual labor. Look how he's dressed. That's all for you guys. And so here's what we read in Genesis 37 and verse 4. It says that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Some of you guys know how quickly you do not get to choose your own adventure. Because you didn't get to choose your own family. Because let me tell you, if you could have chosen your own family, you would have chosen somebody different. And instead of a house filled with love, maybe you grew up in a house filled with hate. Like Joseph, maybe you grew up in a home where no one seemed capable of speaking a kind word. It was full of criticism, negativity. There were harsh tones. Maybe you think that when you look up dysfunction, there, is, there it is. There is your family right there in the dictionary. And therefore, for Joseph, he's got three stepmoms living under one roof. He's got all of these siblings, and, and they hate him, and they can't say a kind word about him. He's trying to look for ways to undermine them and to say something about them to his father. Didn't you love that growing up, whenever your brother or sister would go and, and tell your mom and dad what you've been doing? Right? Because they cared about you. That's why. They did. And, and they just wanted mom and dad to know what it was that you had been up to and the good things that you had been doing and all the wise choices that you were making in your life. And you, you were lucky if you had that brother or sister who, who just had that, that immediate access to mom or dad and, and you could just let them know everything that was going on behind your closed bedroom door. That was great if you grew up with that. That's how he's growing up. That's how his family's growing up. But friends, homes like this just have a way oftentimes of, of crushing dreams when, when there are favorites that are being played and, and when it seems like that, that it's always somebody else looking out for number one. 
Here's what I need to tell you, I think, at this point in our message. Your history doesn't have to be your future. Your history does not have to be your future. Maybe your family had some very difficult and ugly chapters. But the generational garbage can actually stop here and now. You do not have to give your kids what your ancestors gave you. You can say, you know what, it's going to stop with me. It's going to stop. Max Licato in his book, You'll Get Through This, writes, and I really appreciate the way that he, he frames this. He says, let God do his work. The process may take a long time. It may take a lifetime. Family pain is the deepest pain because it was inflicted so early and because it involves people who should have been trustworthy. You were too young to process the mistreatments. You didn't know how to defend yourself. Besides, the perpetrators of your pain were so large. It was your mom, your dad, your, your uncle, your big brother. They towered over you, usually in size, always in rank. When they judged you falsely, you believed them. And all this time, you've been operating on faulty data. Decades later, these voices of defeat, they still echo in your subconscious. He says, but they don't have to. And he quotes the Apostle Paul saying, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He says, let him, let God set you on the path to reconciliation. Friends, your history doesn't have to be your future. And your family doesn't have to dictate your faith. It doesn't. I am sure that I, no doubt would not be preaching here today, nor enjoy the love of Tanya, Emily, or Micah, if not for a decision that my father made years ago to choose a, a different path than other members of his family. You see, after my mom and dad were married, he chose to live his life, to structure his priorities, and to model an example in a way that was God-honoring. And he said, well, why was this? Why, why the change from the way in which he had been raised? Because that was totally different. Well, it was because after he and my mom were married, they found themselves surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Individuals that you have never heard of. Ken and Alice. Ronnie and Wynette. Jack and Rose. Brother and Sister Jackson, Hub and Myrtle. Yeah, people used to be named Myrtle. These individuals, these individuals and others, through their words and through their actions, showed my father that your family doesn't have to dictate your faith. And because of their influence, my dad chose to walk away from apathy and anger and pessimism, and addiction. And I, and my wife, and my children, and my mother, stand as living legacies to, to his decision. And I'm grateful that before his death last summer, that as a family, we were able to be with him and to say, thank you. Thank you for the choice that you made. And I remember him saying, I tried. I tried so hard. 
you can say it stops with me. You, you can say that this is, this is going to be it. All that garbage that I was handed and, and, and those poor those, those, those poor influences, those, those individuals that supposedly were going to be mentors to build me up, but instead tore me down. Th- those individuals that said, you know what, you can do things your own way. And those individuals that didn't put God first. And the individuals who were selfish. And the individuals who were harmful. You can say it stops. It doesn't have to continue. I don't have to pass this down. There can be a different way. We see that in Joseph's story. But look, Joseph doesn't make things easier around the family table. He doesn't, because when you read his story, you find out he had this dream as a teenager of his brothers all bowing down to him. And guys, if you're taking notes and you are the younger sibling, you might just want to write this down. Should you have a dream of all of your siblings bowing down to you? Yeah, don't tell them. I mean, you... You can go into your room and, and you can write in your journal, you know, and, and you can write about that. And, and, and you can have those moments behind the scenes where you're like, yes, yeah, you know. But it's probably not a good thing to share out loud over the Thanksgiving table on Thursday. You know, while you're, you know, past the turkey, past the dressing. And, and by the way, you guys all know you're going to work for me one day, right? You guys all know that, that mom and dad love me best. I mean, that, that's not the direction that you want things to go. But Joseph, he has this dream, and he's like, guess what, guys? Guess what I dreamed about last night? And, and guess what? His brothers hated him even more. Right? They did. And so one day, Jacob, the father, sends Joseph out to the fields where the other brothers are all working, and they're sweating, and they're tired, and they're hungry, and Joseph comes strolling out in his coat of, of many colors, maybe having another dream that he wants to be able to share with them, and they see him coming, and here's what they say to each other in verse 19 of chapter 37, oh look, here comes the dreamer. Now I know in our day and time, that can sometimes be a very positive thing, right? We want our kids to grow up, dream big dreams. This was not a nice thing to say, all right? Look, here comes that dreamer. And they follow it up by saying, come, let's go kill him. (laughs) And um, throw him into one of these cisterns. And then say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Let's kill him. Come on. Let's go. But one of the older brothers, Judah, speaks up and says, let's not kill him. And you know, Joseph is thinking, I always liked Judah. (laughs) Man, I always, man, we were tight. And me and Judah, I could always count on him. And Judah says, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. Do what? (laughs) Wait a minute, Judah. I I thought, you know, because you've got that brother or sister. You've got that cousin, that family member. You thought Nana, you're like, hey, we're right there together, right? And then there are those moments where all of a sudden that family member that you thought was on your side goes with the other group in the family and you're like, huh? Wait a minute. What about all these years? Right? What about all the things that, what about all the Christmas presents that I've given? And this is the way that you're going to treat me? Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. That way we could get some money out of him. (laughs) And they did. They gave their brother away. And down to Egypt, Joseph went. But thankfully for him, and for me, for you, 
He didn't go alone. You see, intertwined there in the Joseph story is a truth that provides a reason for thanksgiving, even in the midst of crushing disappointment. Throughout Joseph's story, you find out that God was with him. Multiple times in the text, it says God was with Joseph. Even with all the family drama, even in all the pain, even being in the pit, even there being in prison, God was with Joseph. And I know that we've interpreted the idea God with to be synonymous with carefree. God with, carefree. If God is with us, who can be against us, we say, right? Because that's in the Bible. That's Scripture. And so everything must work out well. That if God is with us, nothing bad will ever happen. And friends, that might be TikTok theology, but it's not the teaching of the Bible. It's not. It's not life. That's Eden. That's in the beginning. And Scripture says that there is coming a time with God when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, when there will be no more death, there will be no mourning, there will be no crying, there will be no pain. That time is coming, but it is not now. It's not now. So soccer stars hurt their ankle and can't play anymore, but it doesn't mean there is no God. It, it means that there are individuals that are laid off from work and that have difficulty being able to find something else to do in this new economy these days. But it doesn't mean there's no God. And it's the fact that there are family members who go through addiction, who suffer abuse. There are times when things just seem to be falling apart relationally in our lives, but it doesn't mean there is no God. God says, look, there's coming a time where there's not going to be any tears, no more death, no mourning, nor crying or pain, but it's not in this life. It's not now. So until then, where is God? Where is God in the midst of this? And where is God in Joseph's story? So as you read his story and as you begin to see the things that happened to him, think about your own life and think about the things that have happened to you and realize that God is right where he promised to be, with us. With us in our dysfunctional home. With us in our difficult marriage with us in our dead-end job, with us in our diseased body. God with you is a constant theme of Scripture. Before time began, God saw every trap. He saw every pit. He saw every temptation, every single prison. He saw the destructive power of sin, and he vowed not one single person of his creation would have to face the disappointments of this life alone. You see, God's presence in our life doesn't eliminate disappointments. I know that's what some have been told. But it doesn't eliminate disappointments. His presence empowers us to endure them. And that's why in your New Testament, James would write, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. We sang about that earlier this morning. And I know for some of you, perhaps it was hard to sing about joy because of what has taken place just now and recently in your life. He says, but you need to know this, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And the Greek word for endurance is literally the ability to stay under pressure. 
the ability to stay under pressure. I know we don't like it. We don't like pressure. And we do everything that we can to avoid it. We run from pressure. We take drugs and drink alcohol to forget pressure. We go to Disney World just to try to escape all the pressures. But by the way, man, have you been to Disney World lately? Talk about pressure. Anything to get away from it. But friends, God uses each problem. And God uses each disappointment disappointment to prepare us for the next one. Hear me now. God uses each problem and disappointment to prepare us for the next one that will be coming. The next family spat, the next lonely night, the next empty promise so that we will be able to endure, so that we will be able to survive, so that we will be able to understand, you know what, our family might abandon us and we might be left But God has said, I am with you. And the tears that you cry now will one day be wiped away. And the agony that you feel as you say goodbye and as you bury a family member, that will be gone. And and, and the crying because of the pain and all of the heartache, it's all going to vanish away. Until then, I'm going to give you the ability to stay under pressure. Friends, we don't get to choose our own adventure. I would have to say that for the majority of us, there are multiple things in our life that we would, if we could, we would have chosen to avoid. That if we we would have known this was going to happen in our marriage, this was what was going to take place in the life of our children, that this is what was gonna go on when we were in high school, if we had known this is what we would deal with with our aging parents, this is what was going to happen within the economy, this is what was going to go on in my, with my personal demons, that we would have chosen to go to page 152. We would have chosen to avoid whatever it is. We would have loved to have chosen our own adventure. But Joseph's story reminds us we don't get to choose that, but we do get to choose our response to disappointments. You see, at the end of the story, and I'm excited that Will Clark is going to share with us next Sunday about this. At the end of the story, when Joseph is reunited with his brothers, and they do come and bow before him, and they are sure that he is going to pay them back for what they did to him, After those decades, after all the pain, Joseph looks over the pit, he looks over the prison, he looks over the pain, and he says, God intended it for good. Well, what good while I'm going through it? He he says, but God intended for good. So friends, choose faith over faithlessness. Choose hope over hopelessness. Choose optimism over pessimism and giving again over giving in. Let's choose standing strong over running away. And let's pray harder and let's sing louder even in the midst of the storm. Let's choose joy over complaining. Let's listen more to God's word and and less to society's prophets and labels. Let's focus on what God has done for us and less on what others have done to us. Let's blame less, and let's forgive more. 
And above all else, let's choose to be thankful even when we don't want to be. Will you stand with me this morning and praise a God who says, I am with you. Let's stand and give him praise.